Please rise for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Hear now God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us acceptable in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. After 32 years of pastoring, I've learned a few things. And one of the things I've learned is that everybody, and I mean everybody, has big problems. And I mean big problems. You're depressed and discouraged sometimes for good reason. But I know what every single one of us, every single one of you needs. It's the same thing that you all want. It's the one thing that you can't buy no matter how rich you are. It's something that you cannot achieve no matter how hard you work. It is the one thing that if you had it, you would be truly happy. And if you don't have it, no matter what else you have, you cannot be truly happy. You see, the fundamental problem is that we are all slaves to to our sins and we want to be set free. You've done some really awful things. Things you're ashamed of. Things you would be embarrassed about if they were to be exposed. You might not even know why you did them. They are inexplicable. They don't even make sense. You feel guilty, usually, not always, there is such a thing as false guilt, but most of the time we feel guilty for the simple reason we are guilty. You wish that you could have the chance to redo or undo some of those things you've done or said, 
And if you haven't actually done them, then you have fought them. And the scriptures tell us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Even the so-called good things you do are tainted by sinful attitudes and motives. The consequences of some of these sins that you've committed follow you. They even haunt you. Perhaps you said or thought, I can't forgive myself. The effects of your sins are seen in your marriage and in other relationships, in your children. That haunting guilt is the worm in every apple of pleasure. You have felt the burden of carrying all this around every day of your life, and it's just built. It's too much. It steals your joy. And in the end, it'll kill you. So today, I'm bringing you some good news. No, I'm bringing you the best possible news. If only you will hear it and receive it. Of course, I will be speaking to any unbelievers who might be present, but I also want to speak to any believers who might have either forgotten or never begin to really comprehend what Christ has done for them. And I put myself in this category. I find myself too often down and out. Poor me, burdened over my sins. And as a result, I can grow depressed and useless. And so I want to ask you to listen very carefully today and try to comprehend what has already been done for you. It's important to begin with sound doctrine, with truth. From the foundation of sound doctrine, we can build new lives. And this entire passage, verses 3 through 14, we're going to camp here for a few weeks. There's an awful lot here. It deals with the work of the Son of God, and it also deals with how the Holy Spirit implements the Father's plan in salvation. And when we see what God's objective is in saving us, and we consider how fallible and sinful we are, then the question comes up, how is he going to do that? The one thing that is clear is that there is a great deal that needs to be done to us and for us if that's to be achieved. God will have to deal with our sin in the general sense, and he will have to deal with our particular sins in a particular way. These obstacles will have to be removed. And so today, I want to focus on verses 7 and 8. 
which are a tremendous summary of the gospel. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And we don't even begin to have time to fully unpack these two short verses. At the very center of history is the death of Christ. And at the very center of our personal story, whatever our personal story is, is the death of Christ. It's essential that we recognize this and that we take it to heart. And yet, as plain as this statement is, there remains a great deal of confusion about it. It's amazing how we can miss it. But we cannot afford, you cannot afford to get this wrong. I want to examine six words in verses 7 and 8 that are critical parts of salvation. There is nothing more important for you to understand. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You want some rest? You want some relief? Redemption. First word. In him we have redemption. Sometimes when someone when I ask someone the question, Are you a Christian? <coughs> Excuse me. The reply comes back. When I say, are you a Christian, the reply comes back, well, I try to be. Or I'm trying to be. Even when that's sincere, this statement misses by a mile. There is no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. You cannot save yourself. You cannot reform. You cannot clean up your act. You cannot get yourself savable, nor can you team up with God to save yourself. Your best efforts to become a Christian will fail. The Apostle Paul gave this a try before he fell on the road to Damascus. Here is description. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh... I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And he found in him not having my own righteousness, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings 
being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. When we're out there trying to become Christians, we are only demonstrating that we haven't yet grasped the most fundamental truth concerning what it means to be redeemed in Christ. Sometimes people think that Jesus came in the world just to teach us, to motivate us, or to be an example to us on how we can reform ourselves. But the fact is, Jesus has required us to do the impossible. And once we realize that we can't save ourselves, then he does something for us. He acts on our behalf. He saves us. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus did not come to tell us that God is a forgiving God or that he is ready to forgive us. No, the cross is God's way of making forgiveness possible. It is the work of Christ that actually procures forgiveness and salvation. The redemption is in Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So let me ask you, are you a new creation? In him. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul expounds on this when he says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin, or to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. Our sins have been laid on him. This is the Christian doctrine of salvation and redemption. And so it's not simply to believe the teachings of Jesus or to follow his example. To be saved is to be in Christ. The word redemption is used throughout the New Testament regarding our salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption who gave himself a ransom for all, who gave himself, Titus 2.14, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. First Peter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the word redemption simply means deliverance by the payment of a ransom. I started out saying, I know what you need. You're a slave to sin without Christ. You're held in bondage and Christ comes and he says he will pay the stipulated price. In the Old Testament, for example, a person could be redeemed from slavery by paying the price or having someone else pay the price. In other words, to be redeemed from slavery was to be set free. 
Jesus tells us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All of us were slaves to sin. All of us were in bondage. Romans 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. That's why I can say with confidence, every single one of you, I know what you need. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in your sight. You can't be good enough. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All it does is it shines a light on, on our corruptness, our sinfulness. The law demands our lives as payment for our sins. The wages of sin is death. Now we mentioned this a while back, but whatever your goals are, whatever you're living for, whatever's going on this week, whatever big thing you've got planned, if you get word that you've got a day to live, you will cancel all the rest of those plans. It'll get all of your attention. That, that news awaits us all in one form or another. It'll either show up suddenly and unexpected or we'll get some kind of warning that it's on its way. And all of a sudden, everything else shifts in its priorities. The law demands our lives as payment for our sins, but Jesus has come to do something about that. Now remember what Paul said. If this is a lie, then we are to be pitied above all men. But I want you to consider, if it's the truth, it is the single best news you have ever heard or ever will hear. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been purchased and freed from the bondage of sin and do you not know that you are not your own? You have you were bought with a price. In Revelation 5:9, as the saints are gathered, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Perhaps you are someone you know has pawned something at a pawn shop. An item that's left with a pawnbroker in exchange for a loan. And if you want to get that item back, you have to redeem it. You have to pay the debt in order to redeem the item. Well, Jesus paid the price to buy us back. But that leads to our second word. What was the price that he paid to redeem us. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Many people strongly object to this bloody sacrifice. They think it's barbaric. But the Apostle Paul is very careful in his selection of words here. All of the Old Testament is pointed to the need for blood. For the Le- Leviticus 17.11 For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. 
Hebrews 9.22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so it's going to be your blood or somebody else's. The New Testament builds on this as it points to the sacrifice of Christ. I'm going to just read some verses very quickly here. Paul writes in Romans, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, that is to appease His wrath by, the blood, by His blood. Ephesians 2.13, later in this book that we're looking at, Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Peter concurs, saying, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And likewise, John writes, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And again in the book of Revelation, To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. So all of the Old Testament sacrifices point to Christ, who is the Lamb of God. The animals were types of Christ. Sins and their guilt were transferred to the animal, and then the animal was slain as a substitute for the sinner. But only the God-man, Jesus Christ, our high priest, could really make full and final redemption for us. So I ask you, do you have this? Are you saved in Christ and by Christ alone? Not by His teaching, not by what He has done and by what He's achieved. Excuse me, I rephrase, I said that wrong. Not by His teaching, but by what He has done and what He has achieved, not what you've done or achieved. And by what the Father has done in and through Him. He has redeemed you with His blood. He took away all your sins... Every last one of them. He took all the guilt. He thoroughly washed you. He washed you and made you as white as snow. Third word, forgiveness. That's what you've been wanting. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is the result of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. That's the thing you need and want the most, whether you say so or not. 1 Corinthians 15.3, I delivered you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Behold, John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't care what sins you've committed. I remember some things I did as a kid. And as a teenager and as a young adult. I have a very long, long list of horrible things I've done. And I'm ashamed of. Do you? I don't care how gross or disgusting or shameful. Whatever the guilt 
whatever the regret, the blood of the Son of God is sufficient to get rid of those. The prophet Ezekiel spoke of this when he foretold, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Because of what God has done for you in Christ, he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember your sins no more. Sometimes people ask, can God do anything? No, he can't. He cannot remember your sins that have been blotted out by the blood of Christ. And he can't forget the ones that haven't been. Psalm 103:12 As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, this is better news than any physical healing. Matthew 9, 4 through 6, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is, it easy, which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say to a lame man, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed. And go home. You see, it's not just a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. It's the difference between misery and joy. There's another story in the book of Acts that is a beautiful picture of healing, but which points to the power of Christ to forgive our sins and to restore us to life. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So there you are. 
helpless and hopeless. All your righteous deeds as filthy rags, you can't walk, you can't see, you can't hear. In fact, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And then we read those amazing words in Ephesians 2.4. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. And so you can finally, truly be happy. And if you haven't already, you can start today. Start right away. The next word, grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What makes this redemption and forgiveness possible, since we know that none of us can earn it, none of us deserve it, it was grace and grace alone. Paul can't mention God's grace without getting excited about it. Grace had gripped him. Martin Lloyd-Jones had this great description. He says, such jubilation is not surprising in view of the wonderful thing that had happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. He never ceased to wonder that he who had been a persecutor and a blasphemer and an injurious person insulting the person of Christ, he who had thought with himself that he ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, He who had been a self-satisfied, proud, contented Pharisee, boasting of and smug in the contemplation of his abounding self-righteousness, that he of all men should ever have been forgiven, and moreover called to be an apostle, made a preacher of the gospel, and sent out as the Lord's special emissary to the Gentiles, that he of all men should be the subject of, of the grace of God was truly an amazing fact. And as he looked at himself, he was ever amazed. The apostle seems to ask himself, is it possible? Am I still Saul of Tarsus? Am I still the same man? And if I am, what accounts for me being what I am now? And there was only one answer. I am what I am by the grace of God. The riches of His grace. And not only to the Apostle Paul, but God's ill-deserved favor was was also shown to you, if you're a believer. You can't be good enough to undo all the stuff you've done. But Christ can and has done it for you. He gave himself for you. It is an absolute free gift of his grace. Galatians 2, 20-21 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes to the law. Then Christ died in vain. So many of our problems. 
Please listen. So many of your problems, so many of our miseries are rooted in a failure to recognize the riches of his grace in our lives. We have no sense of triumph or joy or praise or thanksgiving. And as a result, we are discontent, grumbling, and depressed. This explains why we are miserable and why we look miserable and why we are so often unattractive to others. But we have been given the riches of his grace, which is more vast than the universe. Again, Lloyd-Jones' description here was so good. The riches of his grace are as large and as great and as profound as God himself. For when God prepared our salvation, he gave himself in his Son. So the riches of God's grace are really God himself. He has treasured up all his treasures of wisdom and of grace in the Son. All is in Christ The measure of the riches of God's grace is the measure of the person of God. Remember, this salvation, this redemption, and this forgiveness are free. If you're happy, excuse me, if you're unhappy, It's because you have not begun to realize this vital truth. You've read past that verse too many times. You know, we're too often like the prodigal son who underestimated his father's love and his father's grace. Remember when he wanted to come back home, he wanted to come back as a lowly servant in his father's house, but his father insisted on what? A robe, a ring, and a fatted calf. Full, unreserved reconciliation. As if the prodigal son had never left home, never done anything wrong. That is what our relationship to God is now through Jesus Christ. And then finally, the two words, wisdom and prudence. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. You see, God's plan is the epitome of wisdom. We could never have devised such a plan. And if he had not revealed this wisdom to us, neither could we ever have begun to understand it. That's the word prudence means understanding here. But he has revealed it, and we can understand it. At least we can begin to understand it. Our full comprehension, though, has not been... Uh, has not yet been revealed. There's more to come. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't get in too big of a hurry. I want you to spend a few minutes in meditation 
upon and praying over these two verses. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. If you do, if you even begin to comprehend its truth, you will be transformed. The lights will come on and the darkness will be dispelled. John writes in 1 John 1, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Did you hear that? Cleanse. Not, not just the outside, not just some makeup, not just a wig. Cleansed. Every last speck. Consider where we begin in ourselves and where we end in Christ. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul writes, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I'd suggest you're in there somewhere. Maybe more than once. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And so, cheer up. It's not for you anymore. It's redeemed and forgiven you. And if that ever soaks in, then everyone will see you walking and leaping and praising God. I thought of the words of the hymn, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Father, we are so prone to look past the riches of your grace and to wallow in the misery of our sins. We are self-absorbed. Help us to look up, to look out, to look to our Savior, to receive his healing, to see, to hear, to walk. May we be filled with new hope and joy because of the free gift of redemption and of the forgiveness of our sins. Indeed, you have supplied all of our needs above and beyond all we could ask or think according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we prepare to come now to the table, I just want to ask the two familiar questions from the Heidelberg. I want you to listen, carefully listen in light of what we just read in the scriptures from Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. What is your only comfort in life?
and in death. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation, wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto him. How many things are necessary for you to know that in this comfort you may live and die happily. I want to pause there. The reason I paused twice because it's not about something that's just waiting for after we die. It is about how that, that, that in this comfort you may live. What is your only comfort in life? Today. Tomorrow. At work. At home. In your relationships. And in death. It's all sufficient for everything. How many things are necessary for you to know that in this comfort you may live and die happily? Three things. First, the greatness of my sin and misery. Second, how I may be redeemed from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such redemption. That's what we're coming to this table to express. Gratitude. Thanksgiving for what He did for us that we could never do for ourselves. Well, Lord our God, we acknowledge that You alone are the initiator and worker of our salvation. We cannot save ourselves, nor can we assist You in saving us. We are the blessed objects of Your mercy and grace. Clearly, Christ demonstrated His love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. While we were enemies, you reconciled us to yourself through your Son. The Lord is our rock and our fortress and our deliverer, our God and our strength in whom we will trust, our shield and the horn of our salvation. You are our stronghold. We will call upon you who is worthy to be praised. We will rejoice in your salvation and in your name we will set up our banners. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Father, in gratitude for your work of salvation, we commit ourselves to serve you with gladness in this new week, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you, proclaiming the good news of your salvation from day to day, declaring your glory among the nations and your wonders among all the peoples. For you, O Lord, are great and greatly to be praised. 
You are to be feared above all gods. Bless now our feast, our rest, and our delight in you and in one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen.